Thank you, everybody, for taking the time to join us. This is the FFA Twitter Spaces, and it's one of our initiatives to keep connecting with the ecosystem, keep finding great channels to chat and connect and share insights that we've gathered, but definitely also enable our partners and friends and even portfolio businesses to come on board to share and also stress test some of the assumptions we've definitely seen and also some facts we've also gathered across the ecosystem based on our activities. So excited to be leading this. My name is Ayobami Beteriba. I'm with the investment team at Founders Factory Africa. Founders Factory Africa did a lot more about talking about this topic that is super interesting, which is the risk in early stage investments through product market fit with emphasis on traction. But before I, I dig in, I would just quickly highlight our panelists. We have Daisy Isaho in the house. She's the CPO of Zuri Health. Zuri Health is a portfolio business of Founders Factory Africa. And it's a leading, it's a leading health tech business. She's going to definitely share more about Zuri Health, but we are ex excited about them because of that affordability and accessible healthcare they've been providing across Sub-Saharan Africa, starting out of Kenya. Also on the panel today, we have Chesil. He is the African Investment Officer for ASEAN Venture Lab. Excitingly, one of that leading fintech-based investors where they are looking for innovative and inclusive fintech startups in Africa and supporting them towards scale and also impact. And the last panelist is Steve. Steve is a colleague at Founders Factory Africa and is the head of growth. Except we, are, we definitely almost have a synonymous language for Steve internally and it's an inside joke that when you see Steve, what comes to your mind is that product market fit components, not because is always speaking about it alone, but because he is quite passionate and is written think pieces and his thought process to also recognize as an organization FFA that we also need to say the story. Hence, that was why we crafted this topic from which is the risk in early stage investment through product market fit with emphasis on traction. I think the first person to have on the to give the mic to so he can just chat us through. What came to mind that gave birth to that piece that I'm so excited about and I'm referencing for us to drive the conversation here is to say, Steve, you talk about product market fit, you like this, that you like that component of working founders through it because you believe that is really where a business is formed. And if the business is going to be like if longevity of the business is going to go for a long time, it literally has to be built on those components of product market fit. So Steve, talk to us about your context or about product market fit in Africa with your context and also the frameworks, the, the knowledge you've gathered over time from also core players across that space. So to you, what's product market fit? What's exciting about that component? What's the challenge we see on the continent? Over to you, Steve. Yeah, thanks, Ayo. And thanks to everyone joining. Product market fit is, is a heated topic. There's often quite a lot of tension when it comes to this topic. I'm excited for us to unpack it on this call and clear up a bit of uncertainty around it because it's actually not as vague a concept as many believe that it is or assume that it is. 
the way I, in my kind of observations of, of how African founders dealt with product market fit, it drew me back to this illustration that was released by Paul Graham. Paul Graham is one of the founding partners of Y Combinator. And he has a, an excellent visualization of what he calls the startup curve. And it's a really simple illustration of the, the kind of treacherous or difficult path that founders go through throughout the kind of maturity growth of their of their startup. And a big component of that startup curve is something he called the, or he coined the value of death, right? And that's probably a, a phrase or a concept that many of us are familiar with on this call. And the value of death basically was this kind of treacherous, difficult path that preceded this milestone called product market fit. And it was called, or Paul Graham phrased it as the value of death, because if startups or founders don't make it through that path, that through that valley of death and arrive at that milestone of product market fit, they die. They simply cannot show enough evidence or, or traction or validation of their business model and their startup. They cannot convince start found, or investors, rather, give them money to continue running their business. And so the valley of death is littered with the gravestones of startups that haven't been able to find product market fit. So that was the first area that, uh, that struck me in my research and kind of observations around product market fit was that valley of death, how difficult it is. It's essentially this period in a startup's journey where there are there, where there is the highest levels of uncertainty. There are the most unknowns, right? They are often still trying to understand who their primary customers are, what the problem is those customers have, what a solution might look like to solve the problem that they have, how the business might capture value or generate revenue by solving that problem for those founders or for those customers. It, it is filled with uncertainty and navigated through testing and experiments and processes to try and remove that risk and uncertainty on the path to product market fit. That was the first area that kind of struck me. The second was the definition of product market fit, right? And uh, this milestone of product market fit. I found it so interesting that Mark Andreessen, the arguably the greatest ever early stage investor who's ever lived, and he had this fantastic quote, and it was part of a blog post that he wrote, that for early stage startups, the only thing that matters is, pro is finding product market fit, was getting to product market fit. The only thing that matters for early stage startups is getting to product market fit. And that's a profound statement from the world's most successful early stage venture capitalist. And what struck me about that is just how difficult the journey is for founders. Like that valley of death is just so precarious. And this milestone of product market fit is so important. It is literally the only thing early stage founders should be concerned with, the most important milestone they should be concerned with getting to in the early stages. And then what really stood out for me was how vague the kind of def definition or the description of product market fit was. And so many of us would have been in the industry and been to many talks and conferences and read a ton of materials about the concept of product market fit. But it was always described in these super vague descriptions, right? So there are some kind of funny quotes that, uh, that stand out around product market fit or descriptions of product market fit are things like product market fit, the feeling, 
or product market fit is a journey, not a destination. Or if you have to ask whether you have product market fit, you don't have it. So these super kind of highly inactionable, vague descriptions of this incredibly important milestone of product market fit. And that struck me as as odd and something that had to be unpacked and, and solved. Like how can such an important milestone and the only thing that matters for early stage founders, how can it be so vague and how can there be so little actionable guides or frameworks or material that provides founders with a systematic, highly definitive or quantitative or measurable way to understand what this milestone looks like. Fortunately, the narrative around product market fit went through this through this immense kind of evolution. And uh, there's a bunch of different factors, right? There's a bunch of reasons for that. But for me, what I found is one of the biggest catalysts and the biggest impacts was that ex-operators, ex-head of products, ex-head of growths at Uber, ex-head of products at Airbnb, Airbnb turned investors, right? So like Gustav Olsen, the head of product at Airbnb, became a partner at Y Combinator. Andrew Chen, the ex-head of growth at Uber, became a partner at Andreessen Horowitz. And suddenly you had these ex-operators who had an immense, deeply technical understanding of product market fit. They had to find it themselves, right? They were busy working with these ventures to pursue it for some of the world's most successful ventures. And so they have a, they had a very clear, quantitative, measurable understanding of product market fit. And when they turned investors, we saw a sudden shift in this narrative around product market fit and uh, a kind of detour or an evolution away from this vague concept into one that is far more measurable and definitive. And I'll wrap up this portion of it and then like to hear from the rest of the panelists, but maybe I should pause there and just and just ask the team of, or or any of the other speakers if they have any points or comments to make on the path to product market fit, on the vagueness of the concept, on how this has has evolved quite substantially in the recent years. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks so much, Steve. I think what makes your point super salient is the fact of the experience part of it, which is not just having to think of it as a concept, but think of it as an actionable pathway that's like a beginning, which is where the famous startup cover, the value of death conversation does start up, which is from when you're excited to when you begin to try it out, begin to build it out, and then you begin to go through that downhill to that value of death, which is an experimentational pivot team. And those constant kind of step up where you're literally using time to build and learn of the metrics you gather. I think a, a very good phase to a very good phrase to quote is this word that you see, I like to think of traction as the progress the startups makes on the path to product market fit. And then to double up on that phrase by like Paul Graham is to say for new startup, the only thing that matters is getting to product market fit. Exciting for us, we have a, a founder and a, a product leader, a CPO in the house. And I think my question just goes to eyes to say, Daisy, for you, on this journey of product market fit, how do you as a founder begin to search for that, for what we see with the destination of the journey? How do you get yourself ready? How do you pack your bags? How do, do the money rituals be on your pathway to begin to work through the process of that product market fit journey? 
how do you start that, Daisy? Thank you so much, Ayo. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to share. I know when you talk about product market fit, our journey, it's still an ongoing journey. And because we know that just to achieve that product market fit is an ongoing process and we always remain committed towards continuously improving our products. And what we do is first, we have to listen intently to our users and we have to also adapt to their evolving needs and just staying ahead of the ever-changing healthcare landscape. So just briefly about health, we are a Pan-African health tech company and we provide affordable and convenient healthcare services to patients across multiple channels. We have a mobile app, we have a website, we have a WhatsApp chat board and also SMS service. And from day one, our goal was to provide the best universally accessible healthcare experience in Africa. And we do this by offering end-to-end services. So we've plugged in in consultations, lab testing, pharmacy delivery, and aftercare management. But we also want, because we also understand the challenges across Africa, we've taken into cognizance our unique challenges and also provide first-level medical consultation on SMS service. And this is just to take care of the over 65% of the population without access to smartphones, or the internet, and also people living in the rural and underserved communities. So when you talk about product manage, product market fit, our journey actually began with a deep-rooted passion for revolutionizing healthcare. And we witnessed firsthand challenges individuals face in accessing quality care. So what we did is we were very determined to make a difference. So together with my co-founders, we actually embarked on an entrepreneurial journey and we knew that to build a very successful health tech startup required more just more than just ambition so it demanded unwavering commitment and understanding the needs of our target market so the first step was to actually immerse ourselves in the extensive market research we had to speak with a lot of patients healthcare service providers and industry experts just to be able to gain and valuable insights into the pain points and gaps that are currently in the healthcare landscape. So with this knowledge, we actually began to conceptualize a solution that will bridge the gaps and empower people to take control of their healthcare. So we had a very shared vision and a burning desire to make a positive impact. And we had a very diverse team of talented individuals who shared our passion. So we had to craft the platform. So focusing on simplicity, accessibility, and personalized experiences, because for us, Zuri is more than just building something. Actually, Zuri is named after our founder and CEO's firstborn daughter. And we wanted to create a solution that would empower individuals to just make this informed healthcare decisions. So the first step was to actually have the minimum viable products ready. And at first, we had to release it first to a selected group of first-hand users, and their feedback was invaluable. So they also had to point out areas where we could further enhance the user experience and even expand our offering. And what we did is we had to listen and also iterate our products and incorporate their suggestions. So luckily, we launched at the peak of COVID-19. And I remember that point is when it exposed the underbelly of the healthcare challenges in Africa. And we saw that in as much as we had a lot of health tech solutions in the market, they are still not solving the actual problem. And the two key problems that I'll highlight were first, the cost aspects, because it's extremely expensive. And then there was also 
they only focused on a specific niche of group. So remember to access healthcare, it's a fundamental human right. So we had to build a product that will still solve for both middle, high, and even the low people who even live below a dollar a day. And we wanted to make it as easy as chatting, how you can easily chat with doctors the same way you chat with your family and friends. So at that point, we were able to gain a couple of momentum. And when we first launched, how we built our business was to be able to generate revenue from day one. And with that, we had to work through partnerships. That's our strategy to scale growth through partnerships. We worked with telcos who have significant distribution power. And we also understood the benefits of actually working or scaling through partnerships. So we didn't want to reinvent the wheel. We worked with already partners that had built rails who act as our current fulfillment partners. And when we launched during COVID, it actually validated our business idea because it was easy for people to understand that there are some services that you can actually get at the comfort of your home, including tests, including pharmacy or medication delivery, and not just consultations. We wanted to provide an end-to-end healthcare patient journey. And when we started launching and we gained momentum, we realized that attracting investment was also crucial to scaling our operations and even reaching a wider audience. So we were able to approach investors, articulate our vision, just demonstrating our understanding of the market and uh, showcasing the positive feedback that we had received from the early users. At that point, it's very easy to convince someone that you actually have a very solid solution that has a clear path to profitability. And while investors also recognized the potential of our venture, they also had natural concerns about the risks associated with early stage investment. Remember, we were still a few months into the business. And to just address this, we actually had a very comprehensive strategy for de-risking our product development. And we also had to emphasize on our customer-centric approach. So how we are able to gain a significant traction, riding on robust distribution networks and partnerships. And also the key, the KPIs that we mentioned also from the user's feedback. By showcasing this positive market response and also our ability to adapt to users' needs, we had to we were able to instill some confidence in the potential investors. So this allowed us to secure funding that we needed to fuel growth and expand our operations. And we are constantly rolling out new products into the market. So we know that currently we have de-risked our business because you also understand the fact that Africa is a highly fragmented market. And for you to actually have a clear path to scalability, you have to have a very strategic business or revenue model. We're still in, in the journey, but we understand that because we're transforming healthcare, we are empowering individuals one step at a time. Thank you so much, Daisy. Super. I think you were able to quickly condense your journey in like in five minutes, though that does not give the full insight as I know there are other things that are going to creating that secret sauce that you've been able to build the health on and definitely pathway to growth and rightfully on the journey to product market fit. I think my next question is for Jessel and I think it's just to think through it. Jessel companies daily you speak to Africa busiest sector, which is the fintech component, and you're always trying to tally numbers, tally how far gone the business is. From your own like aggregation of thoughts, which is also great that you do share with us via your newsletter and also via your Twitter pages, via your Twitter page. Can you just please point up what you share in 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 few minutes? 
what are the nuances as an investor towards product market fit when you are like engaging founders? What are the things you note like note? What are those things, those metrics, those points you you look out for that's oh, this guy has begun the journey and this is what his journey is like. What are those things that strike out to you that you're like, yes, this is the pathway towards a product market fit like storyline? Yeah, for sure. Thanks again for having me on here. And as you rightly mentioned, we're fintech early stage investors, pre-C to pre-A. So this conversation around like identifying early signs and nuances of product market fit is really critical to us. I'd say that for us, and when I, when I see companies and I talk to founders, a few things that I'm often looking at, looking out for one is, first of all, is an understanding of the nuances of the specific market that they are in. I think that I was trying to friend today about South African companies versus like Nigerian companies. I think you have to be able to understand if you're building, in my case, a fintech in Nigeria, you're likely building something that's going to have to be bank-led or bank-first. If you're going to de-size cash, you're going to, you want to focus on customers who are already using cash specifically. Whereas if you're building in Kenya, where and Pesa is like 80% penetration, that cash conversation is a bit different. And so the first thing I'm often looking at is like an understanding of the specific nuances of the markets that these founders are in. And I think then really comes the, the real conversation. I think based, and Steve already kind of highlighted some of those specific metrics. I think retention is always one that I'm always looking out for, but primarily looking at early signs of even traction of revenue, of interest on your product, depending on the stage. If you're a PC company, it's not fair all to expect you to have hit like X amount of revenues, but there are earlier signs of PMF, like retention rates, how often people are staying on the platform, how many people are joining your platform and are active on your platform. But pre predominantly, I think it's important when we are looking at product market fit is to base it specifically in the region that you're in, in the early stage. A lot of times I speak to you want to be able to sell the story of building a great startup in Nigeria, and then you're going to expand to Kenya, and then you're going to be in South Africa, and it's going to be a big company. And we've kind of done the math on it, and it takes the average like fintech payments company like four to five years to actually leave their local market. And the best ones probably spend an average of five years in their global markets, in their local markets before they leave. And so this idea of product market fit is, is even more critical because you can't just run away from it. Before you can expand into Kenya or even nearby Ghana from Nigeria, there's a bunch of things on regulation, on even income, income spend per geographies and regions. And Africa just has a really good article that I shared this earlier this morning that talks about the different market types in Africa. And I think that's a good example of the fact that if you're going to build a company, it has to be, you, it has to have evidence of people having this problem and wanting this solution, ready to pay for the solution in the geography you're in, because the perils of international expansion alone will always bring you down to the base point, which is product market fit. And so I, I often tell early stage funds that I work with, like, I love the international expansion. I think it's good to understand where you go next, but we also be able to understand whether or not people actually want this in the market that you're in first. And again, that comes down to things like revenue, like I mentioned earlier, retention metrics. And Steve has a really good article on this that gives like specific numbers, but active users, whether monthly or daily, these are some great early signs that can let you know that people, one, wants this, 
to you are spending time on this platform, on this solution. And probably more critically, that you can start to show that people are willing, are ready to pay for what you're offering. So those are some of the ones that we see or we think about when we consider product market fit, Ayo. Great, great. Thank you so much for, for, for that. I think what these all gets into is, as you think through that journey, I think there is a point where founders, when they decide to build an idea or see a, a problem that they're trying to create a viable solution for, and they begin that journey, there are definite things that we as investors and even startup enablers are seeing, and we are rightfully saying, if you keep building on this thing, this is a very good indicator an indication towards building a lot more buying from your customer, also building that kind of solution that enables your customer put hands into their pockets and pay you for it. I would come back to Steve now because, again, just to give insight to our audience, Steve's article on systematic tools to help African startups find product market fit is the origination of these spaces. And we are so excited because it's like a manual for us to just Again, keep asking questions and keep probing. Are we on the right path? Are we like aligned investors, founders, operators on product market fit being the ultimate for viable businesses on the continent? And I just asked Steve this question of Steve. When we speak about product market fit and we've passed the conversion of the value of death, what are the things that founders should be underlining to say, this starts my journey? This is where I am across my journey. And this is how I'm literally working towards a good indicator that I'm approaching or going strong in within my product market fit. Can you just help us dig into some of those things you would say are good indicators for this broken down word product market fit? Yeah, thanks. Uh, it's a great question. I, in my initial opening remarks, I stopped short of actually defining or describing what the the measures were that, that provided this highly quantitative view or understanding of product market fit. Essentially, the way we like to think of it is that it's broken down into three key measures. Three key measures provide a highly quantitative view or measure of whether you have reached product market fit. And those three measures are, Jaseel mentioned a couple of these, but those three measures are position and growth, active usage and engagement, and retention. And I guess a, a simpler or a, a neater way to describe that is that you should be it, at product market fit, you should be generating double-digit revenue or user growth week on week is the ultimate goal. Month on month is a, a pretty good place to be, but you should be generating double-digit revenue and user growth week on week. You should also have meaningful engagement on your platform. Daisy spoke about that in her remarks about Zuri and how important kind of stickiness was and product stickiness is to to proving that you have built something your customers love. And the engagement or active usage measure is, a, is the most quantitative way of porting that or defining that. I like to speak about these magic metrics, which is actually a concept that was developed by Andrew Chen. I spoke about him, the ex-head of growth at Uber, who turned partner in Jason Horowitz. He, he has a fantastic book, by the way, that every founder should read. That is The Cold Start Problem. So be sure to check out a copy of that. But he, Andrew Chen defined these kind of magic metrics, which are metrics built into the three measures I've described. And for uh, so acquisition and growth, he talks about you should be generating double-digit growth as, a, as evidence of product market fit. But good leading indicators of acquisition and growth measures 
are things like your organic acquisition, right? So how many of your new users that you're acquiring onto your platform came from organic channels? And that's a that's an interesting leading indicator, an interesting measure to understand and analyze as a founder, because it it shows your product has some kind of like natural pull or organic pull, right? If you're getting more than 60% of your new users come from organic channels, it is an excellent leading indicator of, of product market fit. Another magic metric that I love is your viral coefficient. And again, probably a metric or a measure or a concept many of us are familiar with, and that is of the users, the users who you've acquired onto your platform, how many of them tell their friends or colleagues or partners, tell others about your platform and they successfully come onto your platform and sign up or register. And that viral coefficient or that viral factor, uh, a viral factor of one is essentially somebody that you acquire signs up who tells one other person and that viral coefficient, if they get three other people to come on board, so that viral coefficient goes up. And a good magic metric for acquisition and, and growth for product market fit is that if you can get your viral coefficient greater than 0.5, that is a very good leading indicator of product market fit. So those magic metrics from a growth and acquisition perspective are great measures founders to analyze and understand how their users are using their platform and see whether they are getting similar type responses or similar type performance from from their acquisition and growth tactics. Coming back to the engagement part and meaningful engagement, a great way to think about active usage and engagement is a magic metric of your daily active to monthly active users. And that ratio between daily active and monthly active users is a wonderful leading indicator to show whether you have stickiness in your product. And a simple way to think about it is of your monthly active users, which is a fairly straightforward concept for all of us, of your monthly active users, how many of them are also daily active? Right? What percentage of your monthly active users are also daily active? And if more than 50% of your monthly active users are also daily active users, that is a wonderful leading indicator that you've built your product as part of their daily habit, right? It's that they're not only delivering delight to them or value to them on a monthly basis, but so much so that it's become part of their daily habit. And that's an excellent leading indicator or magic metric that you can pursue to give you evidence that you've built stickiness into your product. And the last measure is the holy grail of product market fit. And in my kind of research and observations on the topic, so many of the material and just research led to this point. Retention was the ultimate measure of whether you have found product market fit. If you have built a product that gets people to come back and use your product week on week, month on month, to come back repeatedly and use your product, it is the best quantitative measure that you have found product market fit. There's a little bit of a technical aspect to it, which I go into a little bit more detail into in the article, which is that if your retention curve flattens at about 40%, so it's in simple terms that essentially 40% of your new customers who join your platform come back and take a meaningful action, that is the best that's when your retention curve starts to flatten and that is the best quantitative evidence that you have found product market fit. And so retention is the holy grail, is the mother of all metrics to indicate product market fit. But you see how those other two measures are so important in getting to retention, right? You've got to acquire users organically and get them to tell others about your platform. You've got to show them, you've got to generate meaningful engagement and stickiness in your product so that they're actively engaged with what you've built and you're actively delivering value to them. 
And then finally, you've got to get them to come back and do that action repeatedly. And it is the interrelationship or the combination of those three metrics that are the ultimate measure of, of product market fit. I also want to just make a note to, and a shout out to Jazil here. He mentioned a really interesting point, which I've seen come up a lot and had a lot of questions from founders. And that is, Steve, how come like revenue isn't the sole measure of product market fit? And our investors are asking me to show evidence of revenue and increasing amounts of week on week or month on month revenue. And while that is, it is very important. And as I said, double-digit growth in revenue is a is a really important factor that contributes to product market fit. It makes it very difficult for product teams to build for revenue. And this is what we've observed at Founders Factory Africa and through our kind of engagement with early stage founders is revenue is a lagging indicator, right? What your product team and your growth team do now will only translate impact your revenue in six to 12 months, right? So revenue is actually a lagging indicator of product market fit. And that makes it very difficult for your product and your growth teams to optimize for revenue. So I'll give you a tangible example here. You know, you, let's say you've got your MVP in market and your pre-seed business, and you're still trying to validate your customers and your solution and your platform. And you might have an investor uh, climbing up your back going like, where's the revenue, guys? Where's the how much revenue you're generating. You're like, we're a pre-seed business. We're still validating our business model. We're still trying to validate our solution. If we focus on revenue now, that'll detract you from building the value for your customers. And what we've observed is that bad investors will often try and kind of coerce you into showing early signs of revenue when actually what your product team and your early growth team should be focused on is are these measures, are organic acquisition, are meaningful engagement and retention, because those are leading indicators of revenue. Um, those are things that are highly actionable for your operational team or your operators to work towards, to set weekly goals towards, and they will eventually lead to revenue. If your organic acquisition goes up and your monthly active usage and daily active usage is increasing and your retention is improving, that will eventually result in improvements in revenue. So it's, a, it's an interesting concept and an important one for founders to understand and apply to the early stage processes. Yeah. Thanks so much, Steve. I think what you've been able to do is also to just not just touch upon the key proponents, but also do a little diving into that to also show how people can begin to highlight and build on those core indicators, as you've mentioned. And I think the conversation just keeps going because You've always mentioned from beginning that this is not a destination. This is a journey. And as you grow into a bigger startup, you would keep building up on this. Just before I ask my next panelist, another question just on the topic. Again, this is a shout out and thank you to everybody joining us for this Twitter Spaces today. We definitely set this up because of you. Founders in the house, operators in the house, and startup ecosystem players and enablers in their house. Please, we would love to take your feedback and questions. And if there are points at which you lean towards, which you definitely believe, oh, yes, this is salient and you'd like to amplify them, please tweet them at us. And if you have questions just on Steve's point and the, ref the core references is made, please also tweet that at us. And 
also if you feel like maybe Steve did touch up on one point and you don't agree with it, please, we'd love to also hear that part too so we could definitely have healthy conversation as we believe that's how we build a healthy ecosystem. So I'll go back to Daisy and just ask Daisy this question of being an active founder in the ecosystem, you've built around traction, you've built around retention, you've built around these key metrics. We all have referenced and mentioned. For you, what does that product market fit or does it attract for you for your business? Does it attract funding? Does it attract customers? Does it attract product solidity? Are you excited because you're like, my product is a market leader? Does it attract market share? What does product market fit or that journey, being active on that journey? What does it attract for you in both that quantitative and structured feedback? We'd love to hear that so we can see if maybe we should not be building towards product market fit after all, or maybe literally we need to all go solve for that in our businesses. Thank you so much, Ayo. Quite interesting because apparently when you're mentioning all the things that what our product market fit attracts, actually I was just taking everything because what it does, if you have the right product market fit, you'll attract investors, you will attract a wider user base, you will have a higher retention rate. So for us at Zuri Health, we understand that having the right product market fit and also understanding your paying customers is and their satisfaction is what is actually at most important to us. So for us, the other things, generating revenue and all this is what builds out to a very sticky product market fit. But the ultimate goal is just to ensure that our paying customers and their satisfaction is actually attained to. First of all, we have to measure, we usually measure customer satisfaction by utilizing our net promoter score. So this is widely adopted metrics in the industry. So we have to find out how satisfactory our product was and the just feedback from the users. So based on their responses, we categorize them into multiple groups. We see we have promoters, we have the passives, and we also have the detractors. But also when we get the detractors, what we see is we are easily able to reach out to them and find out how we can actually make the product better. And beyond the net promoter score, we also employ qualitative feedback just to gather more insights into our customers' experiences. So this includes conducting different user interviews at our free medical camps. We have and host focus groups where we share and interact with our end users and just actively engage with the customers through support chan- supporting channels and social media platforms on WhatsApp, on Instagram, Telegram. We are able to interact with our customers and these interactions actually understand allows us to understand their pain points, some of their preferences, and just suggestions for improvement. There are various things that we measure in terms of when we are structured measurements, and that's, first of all, the retention rate. We're able to see how closely and monitor the percentage of the customers that continue to use our services over time. And we also measure it against also the monthly active users. So the monthly active users actually provide us with a measure of user engagement engagement and the growth of our user base. So this helps us to assess the impact of our market. Okay. Can everybody hear me? Yeah. Okay, great. I think we lost Daisy for a minute. Okay. So that we don't just leave that vacuum. When she comes up, definitely we'll give her the mic to finish it up. But excited that we are getting questions from our audience. Please keep them coming. We want to make this about you and your business and your insights. So definitely here to take your questions. And I think I'll just do that right away. 
and take this to Jessel to say, Jessel, in a dynamic market like Africa, as an investor, we've all said it is not a destination, it's a journey, which means even when product market fit has been cited or underlined, then there is another phase of work to solidify. When you solidify, there's another phase of work to expand and definite build on it for all that pathway to IPO and even post-IPO as you mean a business. But for you as an investor, looking at Africa and a lot of our context, and great that you, you are a fintech-based investor. So it's the sector with the most deals, you see the sector with the most funding going towards the sector with the most startups on the continent. What does a journey of product market fit look like to you? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm not sure I have a simple answer to that because like across all those stages that you mentioned, there's going to be some level of trying to continue to improve how you fit with the market that you're targeting. But I'd say in the Africa market specifically, I always, I bias towards data. That's why I'm a big fan of Steve's article. We can talk through like a few more like ephemeral stuff around like different locations. But at the core of it, if you, whether you're building a fintech in Kenya, you're building a fintech in Nigeria, you need users that are coming back to your platform. You need users that are using your platform actively. And then like Steve mentioned, as a lagging indicator, those users will start to pay you for that need. Now, what that looks like in Nigeria versus what that looks like in Kenya is I think that's where the real hard work of executing comes from. And I've been lucky to work with a hundred plus founders. I think some of the best of them understand that in wherever market that you're in and you're building from or executing into, you need to be building a solution for that market context. I'll give you a great example, not to bring the same example up again, but if you're looking to build, let's call a logistics company in Nigeria, for example, you're going to you're likely going to think to scale to Kenya because the largest market and you might be right, you might be wrong, you could go to Ghana. But in that same logistics market, that company that's based in Senegal, for example, the conversation around expand around like moving this product into a Cote d'Ivoire is a whole different conversation given like how similar the markets are, how the regulation works out. So the difficulty of being a founder, unfortunately, is the fact that you have to be able to prove that in that market, whether it's in Nigeria today, but Kenya tomorrow, you have to prove that people want this because at the end of the day, we forget the fundraising, forget investors. The core of any startup is really to do two things. One, to bring innovation to the forefront and two, to make money to stay alive. Whether you're an IPO or you're like 50 years in the game, those are only two things that matter. It doesn't matter whether you went at pre-seed at the 1 million valuation or you went to 15 million valuation. Only those two things really matter in a day. So when you're going into a market, those two things should be the only thing that matter. It shouldn't be whether or not your investors think Kenya is the right market. It shouldn't be whether or not your investors think Nigeria is big, so you need to be in Nigeria. It has to be, do we have evidence and can we build a product and give us evidence and data around which we make decisions, whether it's like retention, whether it's user, user activity ratio or eventually revenue. Those numbers in a dynamic market like Africa and that's, the, I guess, the beauty and the challenge is going to change in different markets. So it's important that you have this conversation to allow us to always make sure that the North Star is the fact that the product has to fit into the market. It sounds silly, but it's really all that it has to do. And so you have to be working towards that in each market that you're going to. Yeah, thank you so much. 
just to reiterate point sorry just to jump in there just reiterate that point because i think it's such a valid one like ultimately it doesn't matter what market you're in or what part of the world you're in you need to focus on creating value for your customers and capturing value for your business and that is the essence of product market fit the metrics are the same to measure and to quantify both those factors as Jaseel mentioned like create value for your for your customers and capture value for your business and that is the essence of product market fit i think a neat practical way of thinking about regional adjustments or expansion and what that implicates or how, what the implications are for finding product market fit instead of product roger has a good way of thinking about this roger norton has a good way of thinking about this the way he describes it is product market fit is this journey and so if any of these three things change, you need to rework towards finding product market fit. So if any of the following change, so if your customer changes or your region changes or your product changes, you have re-find product market fit, right? So if you're suddenly going after a, a different customer, a different profile customer, a different target market, or you're moving to a different region, or your product shifts dramatically, any of those three variables change, you have to refine product market fit. And I think that's a great kind of structural concept to think about how how to answer that question of product market fit evolving in a pretty dynamic landscape in Africa. And just before I just before we wrap it, I just want to cover also great. be like clear that this obviously an academic conversation and we can do the math on retention and user activity ratio, but it's really difficult to do that. And so I also want to be clear that another thing everyone is saying that this is like a math exercise that you can do like in one day. Again, to my earlier point, it takes the average start of four years to get out of the home market. So the conversation, the question to what Steve is saying is that it's a, a you ha, it's a continuous process. You're going to have to keep doing this and it's not easy. I don't think, I think it should be clear that being a founder is probably the hardest job. Being an investor is super easy. Being a founder is really hard. And so this journey of product market fit is less academic and really a matter of execution oh good oh good super appreciate the fact that your thoughts are interwoven on there and then you both agree on just the core proponents of that conversation i think for me i'm also excited that you touched up on the um, quite properly on the question and the the member of the audience as the question also goes ahead to definitely give his own thoughts which means that as Steve has mentioned, and as Jesse has mentioned, product market fit is a very dynamic topic. And even the likes of Mark Anderson and also and also Paul Graham that have given a lot of insight just on that early journey also just give their own condensed and aggregated thoughts on this topic. But a lot of time it's dynamic because every founder is always in at that battle front. And then they always have those conflicting insights and data and different things they should be working with. But we believe as investors and also as enablers of the ecosystem that product market fit is a particular pathway that does not put you at the mercy of the investor. It puts you a lot more aligned with your market, which means that every investor that understands the pathway to scale and also pathway for business to be solid and grounded will most likely tilt to you because the major insights for you to be 
solid and beyond that home run is just set in front of you. And I think now that we have Daisy, it should be great to have our give maybe seconds to the last opinions before we close this up because definitely we also love it. our audience has been here for the full hour and we appreciate that is to say please just help aggregate your thoughts before we, we lost you for a minute help us aggregate your thoughts there and then i will just ask the final concluding question to the to the to the speakers thank you ayo yeah so just i think my last words would be when you combine and both qualitative and structured measurements, just to understand your customers and their satisfaction. You actually gain a comprehensive understanding of your customers and their satisfaction levels and also the effectiveness of your product. So it's important, especially for early stages, just to guide your decision thinking based on this kind of information, which will enable you to actually continue improve to continuously improve your offering and actually address key customer pain points and maintain also strength, strong relationships with the valued customers. Okay. Okay, cool. I think, Steve, I think definitely just to, I know there's a lot to unpack here, but definitely to align this final question with a, a question from the audience. Please, we are just about wrapping this up, but as much as possible, if you have questions, please just tweet at us. We would try to put everything together and see if you have five minutes or two minutes for the panelists, we could touch upon it. And definitely everybody has different pages, Twitter handles that you could follow and drop them messages. And Jesse also has a weekly newsletter he drops. He touches up on things like this. Steve, as we said, one article, we are definitely on him to write a lot more because we know he has a lot more to share. And definitely Daisy's company also has imbibed that journey. And go use Zuri products. Go subscribe to Zuri Health. Go use their products. Definitely, you would also understand some of the things she's preached on this panel. But final thing, Steve, just to ask you, Someone in the audience asked a question around, are there tools, plugins that make tracking of key metrics easier? And I think I'll probably want to rephrase that to say, there was a traction framework that was highlighted in your article. Please talk about that. How does that help in this product market fit journey? How does that help make the journey more understandable, more relatable, and more actionable for founders? Thanks, Ayo. I'll keep this quite short in our last minute here and address two points. The first is, yes, the framework, and it's a kind of practical step-by-step guide to get there. But that framework only works if you have important tools in place. And so I think it's a great question from Jockey. There are essentially two massive players in the product analytics space, and a product analytics tool is what every single early stage startups should have in place to be able to measure the key metrics that we've spoken about throughout this session. This is where tools like Google Analytics just don't cut it, right? If you're going to measure retention or your active user ratio, those measures are only possible through a product analytics tool. The good news for founders is that the product analytics guys know this, right? They know that their, their tools are extremely powerful for, uh, for startups. And so they offer these incredible packages for startups. And so the two tools I highly recommend that founders check out are Mixpanel and Amplitude. Now, there, there is very little between those two tools. They're essentially the best product analytics tools on the planet. And there's very little to choose between them. The good news for founders and tech startups is that they offer 
a startup package where you get free access to those tools for the first year. And after the first year, you pay 50% of, of subscription fees. And so basically what these guys are banking on, they realize that if you use their tools and if you use them to improve your active usage, your retention, the chances are you're going to make progress to product market fit and you're going to be around for a while and you're probably going to land another round of funding and you're probably going to be able to afford their next tier of pricing, right? So they're going to give you free access for your first year just so you can get the value out so you can measure those critical metrics to get you to product market fit or get you to moving towards product market fit so you can convince investors to give you more money and pay them for their subscription fee. So it's a beautiful relationship, but definitely those are the two tools that will help you measure that. And then, yes, once you've got those metrics in place, apply a systematic approach, right? Now that you've got these very clear milestones to, that your teams can use to, to focus efforts on a weekly basis, then come up with a systematic, empirical way to, to make progress, right? So this is the concept of, of the experimental mindset and set hypotheses, measure results from your experiments and see whether you validate or invalidate what you hypothesized before or whether you move, whether you make progress on the metric that you are aiming to move. And if you don't, try something else. And if you do, double down on it and keep trying different ways using that tactic. So I'd say those two are probably the best way to think about tools and a systematic approach to, to product market fit. Thank you so much. We really don't want to end this, right? And I think we definitely have been able to have our listeners right on this journey with us that we're excited about because I think for us, our founders Factory Africa first as an investor, it's a lot more about the founder than us. And as Steve also mentioned in me, every time I asked him, Steve, I love this article you're going to talk about, he's like, Ayo, this is not actually for investors, this is actually for founders because if founders get it right, investors will have no options but to get it right. And it's also to definitely align us to the real, like I keep mentioning again, the real pathway to build businesses that investors cannot just say no to because when customers pay you, investors literally are seeing it that they just need to keep funding you because you're solving a pain point. So excited about this. I know we are out of time. But we're going to give the last minute to Daisy. Daisy, any other thing you want to add before I shut this down? Okay. Yeah, I think. Yeah, thanks for that. Okay, Josio, any other final thoughts you have to share before we shut this down? But it's been so good to have everybody join us for this session. And I'm so sorry for the five minutes extra time. But Josio, do you want to shut this down? Yeah, no, I think you, you, this was a great session. Thank you for having us, IO and Founders Factory. It was just fun. Enjoyed it. Great. Okay, cool. Before I give this back to Sakile, so we have a whole buffet of initiatives that we are launching out. We actively have some of them already. We have podcasts, we have newsletters, we have the Twitter spaces, we have office hours, and we also have presence in Lagos, Nairobi, Johannesburg, and Accra. And we would love to have you over. If you're a founder, please just go on our LinkedIn, go on our Twitter. You will see our different pathway, which we connect with our conferences, our summits, and our different channels. We would love to have conversations with you and see ways we can definitely keep giving back to the ecosystem as that's what defines us. Over to you, Sakile. And thank you so much, everybody, for joining the session. 
All right. Thank you so much once again to our panelists for joining us on this conversation. Please do check out the thread linked to this tweet, to this Twitter space, and make sure that you basically do all that you need to do to field all the insights and knowledge that was gained from this conversation. Thank you so much to everybody for joining us. See you next time.